0: It may have been a disaster, and it may have involved natural forces, but it is clearly divine judgment. We're also told that Lot's wife fell victim to her own hesitation and indecision. In the explosions and upheavals that are here described, it isn't hard to imagine her being overcome and destroyed. But again, we aren't to think of that as an accident. It is a judgment. Jesus says as much in Luke 17. He says, On the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in his house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Jesus is clearly saying here that people who are slow to leave the world, slow to let go and slow to give up on the seductions of the culture, those people will be destroyed on the day of judgment, just like Lot's wife. Jesus believed this really happened, and Jesus believed that it was communicating something very important to people in every generation. You cannot love this world and enter the world to come. You have to let go of the one to take hold of the other.
1: Welcome to Into the Word with Paul Carter. I'm your host, Woody Woodland. You cannot love this world and enter the world to come. The Bible says that sort of thing again and again, but perhaps no story in the Bible better illustrates this principle than the story of the judgment and destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Here to tell us more about that is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word
0: is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Genesis chapter 19. It's a long chapter, so we'll jump right into it. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now, about the only thing that can be said in Lot's favor is that he was willing and diligent in his efforts to show proper hospitality to the heavenly visitors. Whether that willingness was born of inherent virtue or... An intimate acquaintance with the wickedness of his city, the text doesn't say. Verse 4 says, But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people, to the last man, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. Now, there are people today who try to make the case that the sin of Sodom had nothing to do with homosexuality. Rather, the issue here is the sin of inhospitality. Well, certainly the mob was inhospitable, but the sin of Sodom went way beyond that. It is not for nothing that the word sodomite in the English language refers to a person who engages in homosexual sex, not to a person who is unkind to strangers. The words of the text and the wider context make it very clear what is going on here. Look carefully at verse 5. The men of the city called to Lot, saying, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. The Hebrew word for know is the word yada, which has a wide semantic range. It is commonly used for intimate sexual knowledge but it can also mean intimate relational knowledge that isn't explicitly sexual. The same word, for example, is used in Genesis chapter 22 when God says about Abraham, For now I know, ata yada ti. Now I know that you fear God. Well, obviously, yada there is clearly non sexual. However, whenever we're defining a word that can have multiple meanings, multiple nuances to the meaning, we need to pay very uh, careful attention to the immediate context. We need to ask the question how is this word being used in this story? And the answer is found in verse 8. Lot rather disgustingly says, Genesis 19, 8, Behold, I have two daughters that have not known, same word, any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. So there, Lot uses the same word in an obviously sexual way, in the same story. It's also the same word used in the parallel passage in Judges 19. In that story about Gibeah, once again, men are knocking on the door, wanting to know a man who has visited the town and gone into the house of a specific citizen. Judges 19:22 to 25 says, As they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows, surrounded the house, beating on the door, and they said to the old man, the master of the house, bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him. Once again, a very crude proposal is made through the door by perverted men in the city, and once again, a very unhappy counter-proposal is made by the master of the house. In Judges 19, a female concubine is literally shoved out the door and into the arms of the waiting rabble outside, Judges 19.25 says, and they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. Same word. And that is why no serious scholar believes that this word means anything other than have sexual relations with in either Genesis 19 or Judges 19. People today may wish these stories were about something else, but clearly they mean what you think they mean and what everyone agreed that they mean until about 10 years ago. The rest of the Bible confirms our interpretation. In Ezekiel 16, the prophet refers to this incident in Genesis 19, and he says, They were haughty, and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. He uses the word to-eba there for abomination, which is a clear reference to Leviticus 18.22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Same word, Leviticus 18.22. So the Old Testament tells us in principle, in Leviticus 18, and then in precedent, in story, in Genesis 19, that homosexual sex is abhorrent to God and that its normalization and celebration by culture summons his wrath and judgment. Derek Kidner says here about our text in Genesis 19, he says, at this early point in scripture, the sin of sodomy is branded as particularly heinous. The law was to make it a capital offense grouped with incense and bestiality, and the New Testament is equally appalled at it And he cites there Romans 1, 26, 27, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 1 Timothy 1, 10, close quote.
1: Pastor Paul, I want to jump in here if I can. That last line there almost makes it sound like homosexuality is being treated like a bigger sin in the Bible than some other sins. But that's not right, is it?
0: Well, it's a complicated question. There is a sense in which all sins are equal. James 2, 10, for example, says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. So James says that the law is really a pass-fail kind of thing. You're, You're either perfect or you're a sinner in need of a Savior. So in that sense, all sins are equal. All sins make us sinners in need of a Savior. But it is also true that some sins have bigger consequences than others, and some Sins communicate things that other sins don't, and the sin being discussed here in Genesis 19 does seem to be communicating a particularly brazen rebellion against God. We see something similar in Paul's letter to the Romans. In Romans 1, he seems to be describing the descent of a culture that has rejected the sovereignty and authority of God. The further they fall away from God, the more bold and brazen they become in their rebellion. And so the absolute bottom in this process comes when people actually begin to celebrate behavior that they really ought to be ashamed of. So Romans 1.32, the last verse in this chapter says, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them, closed quote. So when you're normalizing and celebrating behavior that is obviously contrary to God's will and intention, Paul says, you're at the very bottom of this trajectory of rebellion and dissent, and you are positioning yourself and summoning the wrath and judgment of Almighty God. That's what Paul says in the New Testament, and that appears to be what we are seeing here in Genesis 19. This is a city in terminal decline. They are doing things that are directly contrary to the will and intention of God, and they're not only doing it, they're doing it brazenly. And we see that summoning a response of judgment and destruction.
1: All right, let's jump back into the story at verse 6.
0: Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you, and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these, women, or to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Now, once again, we are reminded here that the Old Testament is not a story about bad guys and good guys. It's a story about bad guys that need Jesus. There are no heroes in this story. There is no one acting nobly or justly. The entire city is rotten, and the rot has sunk into Lot's heart. And soul. He has been desensitized to sexual sin. And his counter proposal is just as shocking and sinful as the initial suggestion of the unruly mob. This is what happens when you choose to live in a sinful context in order to make gobs of money. The sin outside becomes the sin Inside, without you even knowing it. The story continues in verse 9. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of this place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out, And said to his sons in law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons in law to be jesting. Notice here that people surrounded and saturated with sin naturally disbelieve in divine judgment. He didn't destroy us yesterday, they reason, so why will he destroy us today? People always mistake the patience of God, for the weakness of God. So it was here. Verse 15 says, As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. and my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zor. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. This last-minute struggle reminds us of how hard it is to let go of sin once we become accustomed to it. Lot wants to try again. Lot loves his urban lifestyle, and he wants a little Sodom, a more manageable Sodom, but a little Sodom nonetheless. How hard it is to let go of that which we have wrongly embraced. Verse 24 says, Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city, and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife, behind him, looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Chapter 14 already told us that this area was rich in all the ingredients of this disaster, bitumen, petroleum, salt, and sulfur. But this is clearly more than a natural disaster. It may have been a disaster, and it may have involved natural forces, but it is clearly divine judgment. We're also told that Lot's wife fell victim to her own hesitation and indecision. In the explosions and upheavals that are here described, it isn't hard to imagine her being overcome and destroyed. But again, we aren't to think of that as an accident. It is a judgment. Jesus says as much in Luke 17. He says, On the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in his house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Jesus is clearly saying here that people who are slow to leave the world, slow to let go and slow to give up on the seductions of the culture, those people will be destroyed on the day of judgment, just like Lot's wife. Jesus believed that this really happened. And Jesus believed that it was communicating something very important to people in every generation. You cannot love this world and enter the world to come. You have to let go of the one in order to take hold of the other. Verse 27 says, And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was... That when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Here we learn that Abraham kept a silent vigil while the Lord rained down fire and judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. He did not gloat, he did not rejoice, but neither did he protest. The believer does not delight in the judgment of God upon sinners. Abraham had pleaded for mercy. He had wrestled with God. He had secured a promise that if there were but 10 righteous people in Sodom, if there was a, a seed of witness and a reasonable hope for change and reformation, then God would give them more time. But no such remnant could be found. There were only four people in the end who were responsive to God's messengers and only three who were truly willing to leave. Three is not ten. So Abraham watches, mourns, and holds his peace. Verse 30 says, Now Lot went up out of Zor and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zor. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she rose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she rose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. This story is a further reminder that human beings need more than a fresh start. They need more than a change of scenery. Lot and his daughters were out of Sodom, but here we see that Sodom was still inside them. The sexual dysfunction of that culture had crept into their hearts. We saw that in Lot's disgusting offer of his daughters to the mob outside his home, and now we see it in the disgusting proposal of his daughters to each other. This is a family that has lost their way and the consequences go on and on over generations. It is not for nothing that Moses tells us in verses 37 and 38 that the children born of the incest and immorality in that cave grew up to become the nations of Moab and Ammon, the nations that introduced the greatest sexual and religious perversions into the culture of Israel. So much pain and heartache stemmed from that one decision made by Lot in Genesis thirteen, ten. So many consequences that he never could have foreseen. You don't have to read all the way to the end of the Old Testament to know that we are lost and hopelessly corrupted and in desperate need of a Savior. All you have to do is read Genesis 19. There is evil outside of us. And there is evil inside of us. Our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can cure it? Who can save us and bring us home? These are the questions that will grow and grow and grow until finally they are answered in the person and work of Christ. Thanks be to God.
1: Pastor Paul, you had a line there that I want to go back to. You said, this story is a further reminder that human beings need more than a fresh start. As I was listening to how this story ended, it kind of reminded me of how the story of Noah's Ark ended. Noah's Ark was the ultimate fresh start. And yet, right after that story, we find Noah passed out, drunk in his tent, and all kinds of unpleasant things going on. You do get the sense that we will need more than a fresh start. We bring the evil with us, so whatever salvation God is going to send, it's going to have to rebuild us from the inside out.
0: That's it exactly, and that's why no merely external form of salvation will ever truly address the real brokenness of human beings. Education won't do it, government won't do it, willpower won't do it. Those are downstream from the fundamental issue of the human heart. The Bible says that the evil is inside of us. Lot escaped the city, but he brought the same fundamental wickedness out with him into the cave. So when salvation comes, it will have to be implanted at the very center of the human condition. It will have to be a matter of the heart.
1: Amen. And I know we'll hear more about that in the weeks and episodes to come. As always, if you're looking for more Bible teaching from Pastor Paul, you can find that over at the Into the Word website at IntoTheWord.ca. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and with other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just enter Into the Word into the search bar. And we'll see you right back here next Sunday morning as we continue our journey together through the whole counsel of God. We'll see you then. Your word is a lamp unto my feet.